Hello, everybody, and welcome back to A Higher Way with Tay. I am Taylor Taylor, and in today's episode, I'm going to introduce you to a very special friend of mine, Morgan Crew. Morgan is a registered nurse, a registered psychotherapist, and a devoted mental health educator. She and I met while we were at Rhythmia Life Advancement Center in Costa Rica, and as we will share in today's episode, we had an immediate bond, and our connection, to me at least, felt destined. Her medicine and her gift to humanity is her work with creating impactful, meaningful change in her clients' lives through years of clinical practice, and more specifically, the development of her program entitled Prevail. Morgan is dedicated to empowering individuals to unlock their fullest potential for well-being and personal growth. Morgan, my friend, my soul sister, my double Capricorn queen, thank you for being here on the podcast with me today. Thank you, Taylor, so much. I'm so glad we met. I am so glad we met too. And we met earlier this year at Rhythmia, like I mentioned, and you were there with your partner, Dan, who I also love. And I think I just like wandered up to you, right? Well, we were, I think we were like all standing around in medical and I just like came up to you guys and was like, Hey, I don't even really know why I did that, honestly, but I think I just looked over and maybe my soul remembered you. (laughs) Yes, I think so. No, me and and Dan were standing there going, what are we thinking what are we doing here what is happening and then yeah there was a, a, you were there with a group of other people and you guys looked relaxed and so I think I drew you over needing um needing some reassurance and I know you gave me so much reassurance the whole week and so thank you so much for that oh really of did. course absolutely well it's funny because it was actually while we were there at Rhythmia that you told me that you were a double Capricorn, which I just love. And, you know, I don't have enough Capricorn friends. Um, my son, Thomas, he's a Capricorn rising, just like you. And he's tough as nails. Um, mm-hmm. It's funny because, like, Capricorns, they're such great people. And they're super, like, good friends to have. And I kind of have been thinking lately, like, I'm like... I need to find me like a Capricorn man. And then somebody told me the other day, like, good luck, because the good ones are just gone. They're taken. They get snatched up so fast. Oh, <laughs> um, I hope you find that. You are going to find that. <laughs> I'm putting it out there. I'm going yeah. to, for sure. Because um, it really is such great energy. And being you being a double Capricorn, like, we're just going to dive right into your natal chart. Because, okay. first of all, you have so much Earth in your chart. So you're obviously a Capricorn sun and rising. But you have an Aquarius moon like me. We're both Aquarius moons. So that's obviously an air. You have an air sign for your moon, but you have four additional planets in Taurus. So all this earth energy in your chart, and it makes a lot of sense for what you do for a living. Um, Your south nodes in Taurus, your north nodes in Scorpio. And, you know, we will touch on that in a minute. But I was so fascinated when I was looking over your chart because you told me on your own without like, knowing anything about this part of your astrology, that your purpose in this life was to like understand yourself through your relationships. So when you told me that, I immediately thought, oh, she must have some like heavy lever placements like I do Um, or, or significant seventh house placements, because that's the house that in the natal chart that rules relationships. Mm. Um, And what I found in your chart that totally confirmed this was you have your natal Saturn retrograde in your seventh house. So on the podcast, I talk 
all the time about Saturn. You know, Saturn is known as the Lord of Karma. And Saturn is placed in our chart, like where Saturn is placed in our chart is basically where we're going to see the lessons that are going to shape like our whole development and our whole human experience. So seventh house being the house of partnership, relationships, and how you relate and have relationships with other people. And then you have Saturn in that house. Saturn is ruled by Capricorn and Aquarius, which are both signs in your top three. And as a Capricorn rising, that makes your chart ruler Saturn. So it's a very Saturn dominant chart. And I also have what I would consider a Saturn dominant chart because I have Saturn in the first house. So basically to kind of put that all together for you, as I've said before, Saturn does not fuck around. When Saturn sees that you're ready for a lesson, it can come in like a wrecking ball. But the positive side to that is also like, this visual that I have for you with your chart is like Saturn's like Mr. Miyagi. And like you are out in the back alley, like learning Kung Fu from the motherfucking OG grandpa. Like he's your special teacher, you know, but he's going to have to beat your ass a few times until you learn to respect him. That's like, that's how Saturn works. Mm -hmm. So does that resonate? Because I was so, when you told me that about knowing your sort of purpose and path being about understanding yourself through relationships. Do you feel like that resonates? Yes, because I've learned that through relationships already that were really hard lessons to learn. And I seem to keep getting a beautiful delivery of uh, experiences and lessons through relationships. So uh, yeah, I know it. I'd like to learn it completely to catch a break soon. Yes. Um, Yes. But yeah, no, and that's also what led me to Rhythmia too. It's like, uh, I can only do so much seeking and learning and and working on, um, you know, my spirituality and trying to, trying to find out what's my next level up. And, you know, Rhythmia is a pretty big lesson to learn too. So yeah, it resonates, but it doesn't make me very happy. Like, well, that's Saturn for you. Me either. Like, all the lessons Saturn has for me, I'm like, give me a fucking break. I can't get five minutes before here comes Saturn transiting through a different house trying to, you know, make me learn the hard way. But um, what I do think is like what you were saying about like, I'd like to, you know, learn it and be done. Well, that's the that's the point of the natal chart, right? Like, it's the blueprint of like, here's what you're supposed to learn. Here's the lessons you're supposed to have, especially when we are looking specifically at Saturn. And in your case, being your chart ruler, this is like, you got this shot, this incarnation, this lifetime to really master these, and then you can be finished. (laughs) So there's maybe some motivation for you. But I wanted to tell you too, like to compare something else from our charts. So I have a Capricorn South node, meaning, you know, uh, astrologers may say that that means, you know, I've been a Capricorn many times in other lifetimes, but I've come into this life very familiar with Capricorn energy. So I speak your language in regards to that. And then, you know, both of us are Aquarius moons. We both have a 12th house sun or our sun is in the 12th house. Um, So I think that really shows like speaking or sharing about spiritual matters comes pretty easily to both of us. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I've talked about the nodes before, because I love them so much, like, you know, we, so we have your North node, which is like, what's your, 
kind of leaning into in this lifetime and the traits of your North Node, you're you're starting to understand. And the South Node is, again, like what you came into this lifetime, kind of like already knowing, having already mastered, but you need to sort of like let go of those and embrace the traits of your North Node. So in your case, you have a North Node in Scorpio. And with that, like you really kind of, how would I explain this? It's like you... Okay, you have your North Node in Scorpio and your Midheaven is also in Scorpio. Your Midheaven is the sign that shows your career. And when your North Node and your Midheaven are in the same sign, that to me shows like a lot of your life purpose is going to come through your job. Mm-hmm. So Midheaven and Scorpio is like the perfect placement for someone to become a psychotherapist. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so again, like in that case, I would look at that and I would say a person with these placements their life purpose and path being in the same sign as their career, like you're, you're doing it. Um, and so, you know, I think the other thing too, is like with your North node and Taurus, the themes you need to release in this life, the ones you've already mastered, some themes around Taurus would be like connection to material things, being too self-reliant, which also, hello, double Capricorn, um, holding on to things like possessions or habits or even beliefs. And then also sometimes like people holding on to people too tightly. And then the themes you want to embody, which would be Scorpio, would be spiritual endeavors. And Scorpio is fluid because it's a water sign. So you're literally like breaking free to create something new. And Scorpio rules the emotional realms and the unconscious and like deeply buried traumas. So when I was reading all this, I'm like, this completely checks out that not only are you on the path to your North Node of your destiny by embodying those themes through your career, um, but it also is shown in your midheaven in Scorpio. So it's it's pretty amazing to see it like line up perfectly like that. Um, and then to just give you an example, like in my chart, so obviously my South node's in Capricorn and you will identify with this yourself as a double Capricorn, but you know, the, the image of the Capricorn is the goat, right? And it's like the goat that's upside down on the mountain, right? Like hanging on upside down with the fucking hoofs in the mountain. And then the, the other side of that is cancer and cancer is like, Hey man, like just be chill, like float down the river. It's a water sign. It's like super chill. And so I was born into this life, like the fucking goat hanging upside down with my fucking hooves. You know what I mean? And like, it's not easy for me to just let go and float down the river. And I think for you going from an earth sign to a water sign, it's a little bit similar, especially with your heavy Capricorn placements. Um, uh, but, but I'll tell you what, you're doing it. Like it's evidence in your, your career now, like you are on track to your destiny um, by doing what you're doing, um, and with your North node and Midheaven and Scorpio focusing on like deeply buried trauma, this is a perfect segue to introduce what you do for a living because it is so on point with your natal chart. So can you tell me a little bit about your practice and the focus of what you do? Sure. Yeah, no. And thank you for explaining all of that to me. I, um, I'll definitely be reflecting on that a little bit more, but it makes sense. And it also makes sense like to, to just know that I'm stretching into Scorpio, um, you know, themes, which are so unique and, and, and different. So yes, thank you so much for that, Aldi. So happy to learn more. Okay. So yeah, so my, my background is, um, I started out 
I've always, I've always been in helping professions. And then um, I went into nursing after I had my kids and I ended up going into mental health nursing, which was great. Though um, I certainly realized in the public health care setting uh, here where I live in Ontario, um, it was a, it was kind of a bleak uh, place to work because you're not able to help people long term. So as I was working along in mental health care, I, I really wanted to make sure I was learning as much, you know, again, Capricorn is in Capricorn style, go back to school and get a master's in, in psychology to basically become a better mental health nurse, though in that process um, made some big decisions to to jump ship from the public health care system into the private health care system and, and start my own private practice. And there were lots of, uh, of reasons why I ended up doing that. And I know it's, you know, predominantly suits me a lot better to help people longer term and a lot more in depth. So I'd rather be spending, you know, a good deal of time getting to know someone and helping uh, understand them in a deeper way, conceptualize, you know, where they're coming from in order to help them make longer longer lasting change. So as a result of starting my own private practice, um, I started to see a lot of themes in the in the client's problems and what was actually helping clients, it became clearer sort of my 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 instead of evidence-based practice, I was looking at the uh, my client's evidence. I, I started using that rather than just the research that I was looking at it, I thought, well, I'll just look at my own clients to see what's helping. And in doing that, I, I put together a program um, that I is a very straightforward, upstream way of uh, teaching clients about mental wellness. So yes, yeah, so I do have my private practice that is your typical um, psychotherapy practice. But in addition, now I have a, a public um, a mental health care course so that I could get ahead of people needing therapy and teaching them the concepts that I find the most beneficial. So I've got those two practices going on right now. And can you touch on Adlerian psychotherapy and how that's different from, say, you know, the more traditional like cognitive behavioral therapy? Because Adlerian, correct, is like the field that you predominantly work in? Yes, exactly. So, so back um, when I was working in the in the nursing um, capacity in, in in the hospitals and so on, the most of what's taught and what's um, utilized is cognitive behavior therapy. So, there's two broad schools of psychotherapy. One is cognitive behavior therapy (CBT) and the other is psychodynamic. And the psychodynamic um, realm encompasses uh, a lot of different. Um, types of therapy and the one that I do specifically is called Adlerian psychology. So this was um, the founder is Alfred Adler. He was, uh, you know, around when, you know, in the, in the times of Freud and Jung, and he developed a style of psychology that um, I came to meet in a time where I needed therapy and it completely changed my life and transformed my understanding of psychology and myself. And so I give all the credit to um, Adlerian concepts. And I do not claim to be an expert at all. Um, this isn't something I'd ever be able to be an expert in. But the concepts and themes are just so um, transformed my life so much. And they explain things to me so well that I just, uh, that's the type of psychology that I practice. I, I wouldn't say I never, you know, teach a little bit of CBT and, and, and show the model for it. But 
I have found personally and professionally that um, psychodynamic psych, uh, therapy has been the most effective and helpful in my life and in the lives of clients that I'm helping. So yes, Alfred Adler is the is the creator of the style of therapy, and it's very much to do with the um, what the experience that experiences that we had in childhood dictate how we respond to uh, experiences in present day. So a lot of people, you know, they just want a quick fix and change their thoughts and, you know, feel better. And so this um, Adler would, says, no, no, we've got to go back and see what, what happened in those early years and what beliefs um, the child created about themselves, which then gives them the lens of, that they see life um, through now as adults. And correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Freud also, like, wasn't his whole thing about, like, it all goes back to the childhood and the relationship with the parents specifically? Like, am I wrong? Wasn't that kind of the yes. basis of his, like, it was always rooted in childhood as well and and more specifically, like, in your, your relationship with your, your mom or dad? Yes, yes, exactly. So he, he had his, Freud's tenets um, are very clear and, and direct from what he believed, which yes, had to do with certain phases in the developing stage where children would master certain um, certain tasks. And then he was also really uh, preoccupied with talking about the ego and the superego and, and, and whatnot too. So, so there was lots of differences between Adler and, and, and Freud for sure. But I think, yes, if, you, if, you're, if we're going back to those founding fathers, then yes, they, uh, a lot of them started off being uh, the same, but branched off. And but branched off, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what concept specifically from this Adlerian style of psychotherapy did you incorporate into this program, Prevail? Like, I'd love to hear how you took kind of some pillars of that and then created this course. Okay, yeah, perfect. So so the, the things that... Um, there's a lot of things that are universal. So, so let's just say grounding, for example, settling your nervous system and grounding. Um, a lot of people talk about it, and may, most of my clients, you know, they don't want even they don't want to hear about the fact that they, you know, one needs to do deep breathing and meditation. They're just like, oh, you know, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. So there, so there's some some things that we're not going to be able to avoid. And so in my prevail program, I've I've put. I put grounding as the, the first and foremost important um, skill. And you know, we're not going to go into it today because it's not specifically Ethlerian or something um, fancy even. So grounding is one that is universal. It's in there. Boundaries is second and it's fundamental as well. A lot of people talk about setting boundaries, but um, I really do a clear description of, of how, to, um, how to, how to make sure that we're not letting other people's, you know, uh, thoughts and criticisms come into our bubble. And then the next two concepts that are in the program that are are Adlerian concepts through and through are um, true essence and private logic. So these two concepts, um, we spend a lot of time on in, in the Prevail program. And they're, you know, they're, they're kind of tough and they're kind of they're, they're very deep and tough, but once you get them, it's extremely empowering and you're going to be able to come back to these two concepts over and over again um, during uh, p- problems in your life or obstacles that come onto your pathway, which 
you know, I end up t- teaching people obstacles are actually opportunities. So the true essence and the private logic are Lyria. And then from there in the program, we do some other personal growth things. But I think as far as um, connecting at Lyria to the Prevail program, the true essence and private logic is, is the two that we should talk about. For sure. I definitely want to get into those. And I have a couple questions just to start. Like, I'd love to know kind of like who comes to you to take this course? Like what type of, you know, demographic are you dealing with? Like, what is the, do you even have one? Is it people from all walks of life? Like, What, what are people looking to benefit? Okay. To- yes. So because I live in Ontario, Canada. I can't see anyone for therapy outside of the province. And also, um, I couldn't see many more people if I wanted to because I'm full. So I... Yes, this- because she's full, you guys, because she's a double Capricorn. Okay. And so I know how many clients she sees a week. And when she told me, my jaw hit the floor. Like, only a double Capricorn can handle a caseload like that. Yeah. So, so and, and so that... Uh, we, because it's sad, I can't see more people. That's why I created this other program, which is, you know, not in the, it's, it's um, I guess the prevailing career environmental health course. So anybody can take the course. People in the states can take the course. Um, people in other provinces in Canada can take the course. So this course is separate from therapy. What I wouldn't be calling it therapy, I'm calling it a mental health education course. So the people that would take it, the best clients that I've got that take this course are people in their adults, 30 plus, uh, for sure. I mean, I do have younger people that take the course and, and that are in my therapy practice, but it's better if you've had, you know, at least 30 years under your belt to work with <laughs> experiences. Um, and these, and the, the, the demographic that helps the most are people that have been through traditional forms of mental health care and they're not feeling much better. So people that have tried a lot of different things and they, they really want a direct approach of what is going to be helpful are, are the people that, that would do well in this course, but they have to be open to spirituality. So the mind, body, soul part, they have to be open to at least learning about their gut instincts, um, wisdom, and so on and also be willing to go back to childhood memories and 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 really have trust and faith that that's where we gotta go to really see the truth of ourselves so for anyone that's not open to that that wouldn't be a good course for them but not the course for you yeah exactly well let's get right into it I, i know we're gonna focus you know primarily on these concepts of the private logic and the true essence so Let's just dive in and let's start talking about those. Okay. Well, let's, we'll, we'll talk about true essence first. So, um, and again, I, I don't claim, I didn't make this stuff up, but I may be using um, words that other people have said and, and described, but I call the concept true essence rediscovery. I call it that because um, our, our true essence, it's, it's already present, but we need to rediscover it as adults. So, so our true essence. So we, when I teach this to my clients, I start with letting them know that yes, for sure, they're, they're, who they are is a combination of their parents' DNA that brought them here, uh, that, that connected and, and the cells divided. And um, that DNA has intergenerational traits, um, as well as just our traits of our physical bodies. And then at a gestation point, um, when we're in utero, in pops a heartbeat, wherever that came from we're not sure and so 
this um, this electrical impulse that is our heartbeat, you know, came from somewhere, can't be created or destroyed. So I kind of use that as, okay, that's that's the essence that popped into um, our physical selves. And that's why we're not the same as our siblings, because, you know, even though we have the same DNA and same intergenerational um, experiences in the parents, we're, we're so different. So I, I use that as a combination of, you know, we're a combination of all of that. And so when we're babies and we're developing, of course, it really matters our environment, you know, and, and you know, we're not going to get into the big in-depth um, talk about all of that. But as a, as a child that is, you know, cared for and nurtured and, and uh, having a, a, a childhood where they're surviving and thriving, we look at the three-year-old self as the most pure example of the of the child's true essence. So that's because the child is now really knowing that they matter in the world where um, the three-year-old would be able to have a tantrum and say, I'm not going to buckle into my car seat. And then they would know that you're either going to get upset with them or you know, give them a, give them a treat and bribe them or whatever. The three-year-old self is when they really kind of know they matter in the world. And so, and so that's why we use that as the purest example of, of the person. So what happens after that is that children start to learn every emotion for the first time um, between the ages of three and let's say 10. 12-ish. I, I want to go with 10 because it's usually, usually experience the every emotion between three and 10. And so depending on how that child learns the emotion for the first time, creates a, a, a blueprint for how they're going to know it the next time. And as a result of that, this natural and normal development stage, children start to learn things about themselves, believe things about themselves that may or may not be that that may or may not be true, but nonetheless, it changes them from that pure three-year-old. Now, I don't know if I if you're following me, Taylor, but what do you think? No, I completely do. I, and okay. I think I wanted to ask you, like, when you were talking about that three-year-old being like the purest expression of like the kind of true self. Do you think, like, a, at three, would you say like a three-year-old knows who they are? No, no, not not really. It's it's more that they aren't hiding any aspects of themselves. Yeah, okay. They haven't learned that their who that their their sparkle should change. So yeah, so that's why in in and that's why you know this these concepts go so close with private logic we'll talk about next. But but nonetheless, so what happens is the child, and, and I mean, and for you who has a child and for me that have children, we can look back at our kids and who they were at three and just remember, you know, their, their, their energetic true yeah. nature. And then as they grow and go to school and, and have different feedbacks from, from just being in normal life, how they shift and change, take on, try on other, you know, try on things that other people are doing and so on and so forth. And it gets them away from their true nature. And I think actually, like just because both of us went to Rhythmia, the, that's the split. That's the right. split that they talk about at Rhythmia where, where we split away from our truth and, and then 
the whole actually like the whole the whole journey of Brittany is getting it's merging us with our soul at all costs. Yes, yes. I and, think that was one of the first things I asked you when I learned about you know you you working in this type of like uh, 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 psychotherapy was like, hey, you know how they teach us that arrhythmia? Like, is that, this is what sounds like the same thing because they they tell us there that I think they say it usually happens around the age seven or by age seven, I can't remember, but that, but it's meant to be, it's not a bad thing. It's like meant to be that every child by the age of seven splits away from their true essence, I suppose, you know, their, their, their true self. Um, mm-hmm. and that, you know, the, the journey of the lifetime, I guess, is, is merging back, um, and reuniting back with that pure true form. And it's so funny because like <clears throat> arrhythmia, when you leave, one of the things that they always suggest you do is like have on your screensaver on your phone, a photo of you at the age that you can look at a picture and say like, that, that's me in my true essence, you know, that's little Taylor or little Morgan, um, before the split. Yes. And uh, I was shocked because of course I was thinking I'm going to go to Rithia and I'm going to learn, you know, so much and I'm not going to understand, you know, but anyway, all of the, the same concepts that are in prevail is what we learned at Rhythmia uh, just to a larger degree. Right. And then you have the magic of the plant medicine, but anyway, I was so excited to, to see that this was reflected that, you know, these are the concepts that are helpful. And so, and so with the true essence, what I do with clients is I, I, we look at pictures and I ask people to get, uh, give me a collection of pictures between the ages of three and six, you know, it doesn't always have to be at three, but just close enough to that age that I can look object- objectively at these pictures. And I always want clients to give them to me in advance because I want just, you know, a few minutes to look at them without the client. And so I look at the, I look at the, ch- and, and again, we want to look at pictures, but also ask questions. So sometimes people have a, a champion in their life that really, you know, spent a lot of time with them and, and knew them really, really well. And hearing in little excerpts about you at three is really helpful too for clients. So I always say, like, if you can find out stories from others about what you were like at two, what or three, what would you, what did you like to do? What, what did you um, always uh, be talking about? And what were you? drawn to that kind of stuff we want to hear that and uh, we want to look objectively so for me and you i would say send me some pictures of you so that i could take a look at your true essence traits and then and then we got together and and i reflected the the traits that i saw back to you so do you want to just talk a little bit about what we saw yeah let's talk about those okay so taylor sent me just some random pictures and I had a look at them and I wrote out some lists. So we want to just, we want to not identify that this is Taylor and that this is um, somebody I know and in love, just that this is, who is this girl that I'm looking at and what, would I, how would I describe her? So in that first picture that you sent me, um, you have a wearing like straw hat, hat and you're leaning out of a car and you've just got this yellow shirt on. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I was like five in that picture. Yes. Yes. Okay. So that was perfect. And so when I looked at that picture, I was able to see clearly a, a girl that is sincere, outgoing, open, interested, curious, tanned, and angelic. And then Taylor, when you saw that, when I reflected that to you, you were like, okay, I see that. And, and some of the words that you saw too were confident, safe, comfortable, and loving. 
Yeah. So together we go through and 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 really take a good clear look at that girl. So that was one of the examples. Let's just take another example of of um, the picture. How about the picture with you in the blue dress with the beads and the heels? Yeah, in my dress ups. Yes. And how old would you have been there? I was probably six. Okay. It was such a like it was it was just like a little model. I'm wearing like my mom's high heels and yeah. some jewelry, and you know I'm clearly like I'm playing dress ups, and I, I I'm feeling myself. <laughs> yeah, and and what I what struck me about the picture was that this girl was a star. So I've got star quality, talented, confident, willing, sweet, humble fashionable, stylish, and friendly. And then Taylor, you were able to reflect, okay, yes, sweet, feminine, shy, and proud. But there's there's so much to each one of these pictures um, Mm -hmm. that you can't fake because you're five. Right. You can't fake it. You're exactly right. And then this last picture that we can um, describe, I thought uh, thought you were in your school uniform because it looked like you had a crest on your shirt. And what age would you have been there? I think six or seven. Okay, so still super, super young. Yeah. But um, in this picture, I just saw, you know, sparkle and confidence and and beautiful, precious, powerful, intense, passionate, uh, intensity, wisdom, and really like leaning forward and just like just a fierce presence in this picture. And then in... And you got that too when you looked at it objectively. Yeah, I actually had, like I told you after the fact that when I was kind of doing one of the um, processes, which we'll touch on later, where I was looking at this picture and I was connecting back to like that little Taylor and the, the, the traits about her, I looked at the picture and I thought about what you said about her leaning in. And I could see that. I could see that. Um you know, this, yes, like the slight physical posture that she was leaning forward, but it was also like her energy. And when I looked at that picture, I got emotional because I realized, you know, I love that about her. She leans into life. She leans into people and relationships and experiences. And when I really looked at her like that, I saw her willingness and her eagerness. And that is my true essence. Like that is what I can anchor back into. And like, that's the whole point of this, right? Is like anchoring back into those qualities and that, that were there from the beginning, you know, that, that were the true authentic, real parts of our spirit. Yes. Like the original, like the, you know, the, the, the total and original, like can't, can't, couldn't have, you know, faked it or, you know, adopted it. It's yep. just, this is just the truth and you, you there's, it's not negotiable. And then, yeah. and then like with your other pictures, you know, you, you, I've got a few more that were when you were a bit older, but like the, the very, very, very similar, but they're, you know, engaged, present, confident, content in spirit. Oh, um, we have to talk about the in spirit because hilarious, you guys. So I was wearing the straight up 80s photo. Okay. I had my like stonewashed denim shorts on and my Esprit <laughs> sweater. Yeah. But then you told me you were like Esprit in spirit. And then you told me that the root of the word inspiration 
comes from in spirit. And I was like, oh my God, that's so awesome. Like when we're inspired, we're in spirit. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Yes. And that's, you know, and, and, and I mean, I wasn't shocked at all when I saw that picture. I was just like, okay, that's Taylor. Like that's Taylor. Like you're just, you are in spirit, <laughs> plain and simple. And you were back then and you are now. So the reason why I, I force clients to spend a good amount of time connecting with this true essence is because we lose it so completely over the decades of life. And we're not going to be able to heal and have peace in our heart, which is what most people come to therapy for. It's what most people want to take, you know, mental health courses for, unless we embrace the truth and sort out where we lost it. Mm -hmm. So, so it's, it's, it, so the, so the true essence, I think you can, you can um, say that looking at the picture is great and wonderful and, beautiful and amazing, but how come we're not embodying those feelings right. anymore? Right. So like what happens that we lose either the connection to those qualities or we lose the ability to embody those? I mean, I know, and you can touch on this, but like we know that we have these neural pathways that are formed in childhood um, and, and they're very deeply rooted and ingrained um, in our logic, our personal logic, which you'll talk about, um, which helps us to make sense of things, but also like, it's like what things mean and what this means about me. Right. Exactly. Okay. So because kids are egocentric, they, they, they're not, they're not adults. They're not little adults. <laughs> they're children. And depending on how they learn, like I said, the emotions for the first time, they will make a, a, a belief, an accompanying belief that goes along with it. And it'll make complete sense to that. So that's why your experiences in your growing up childhood about how the first time you got, feel, you felt, you learned what disappointment felt like, or happiness felt like, or, you know, the first time you were thrilled is going to lay a blueprint for you. And that is going to be um, so it's going to be your measure on how you know what that emotion is moving forward. And it's different for every one of us. So that's why, um, that's why you, what, how, however we feel about something right now is logical to us, but it's not logical to our partner or our friends or, you know, or, or you know, somebody that we worked with. They, everybody has their own personal private logic and it comes from how their, how the blueprint went down. So we'll give you a couple of examples. So I'll give you my example. So if I'm three years old, I'm out riding my, let's say three or four, I'm out riding my tricycle and I fall and I skin my knee and my sister laughs at me. And if I go inside and I'm like, mom, mom, I'm bleeding and my knee really hurts and my sister laughed at me. And if my mom says, oh, oh, uh, Morgan, let me take a look. Oh, geez, that's going to sting a little bit. I'm going to give you a cloth and that's going to sting for about 10 minutes and, and then it should be okay. And, oh, she laughed at you. Well, you know what? Her cousin laughed at her when she fell off her bike at age three. Um, and, you know, my brother laughed at me when I was a kid. So, oh, so embarrassing. But, you know, I'm going to get you a popsicle and I'll come back and check on you in 10 minutes. If that happened, then my little Morgan neural pathway would, make, would learn something at that point, which is, okay, when I'm in pain, I can get help. 
and, and I should go ask for help and I get help. And so that's the that's the lesson learned there. Okay, next time I'm gonna ask for help when I get hurt. And then the other the other lesson learned, um, so the logic learned would be when I'm embarrassed, it's okay, because it happens to everybody. It's okay, I got a popsicle now. So that's one way it could have gone. Another way it could have gone is if, in my experience, I was out riding my trike at three or four, fall, my sister laughs at me, I come inside, my mom's, you know, in my case, she was going through a divorce and um, having a hard time, she might have said, oh, Morgan, that's nothing, your knee is fine, and don't even worry about it, and off you go. And if that's the way it had gone down, that the learning I would have had at four years old, at that point would have been, when I'm hurt, zip it suck it up mm-hmm. and when i'm and when i'm embarrassed well geez that that really feels bad because i've been thinking about it for the last you know three hours so same experience but completely different logic learned but it and again this isn't about like blaming parents because i know everybody panics oh geez you know i'm gonna mess up the kids because i didn't wasn't didn't meet their emotional needs <laughs> it, it's okay it's got to go the way it's going to go why we're, I'm teaching this to you is that my, the logic, the logic got encoded into our neural pathways, but it wasn't necessarily true because, you know, of course you want your kids to be able to go ask for help if they're in pain. The belief that happened um, was because of the circumstance, not because it was true. Sort of follow what I mean here. Yes. Totally. Which I think, again, goes back to that, like personal logic, like it's logical to you, you know what I mean? Not somebody else. Yes. And so what happens is we learn all of the whole spectrum from the, of the emotions from fear to love. And there's, you know, so many different experiences that we have to have to, to gain our, our, our database of what makes sense to us and what's logical to us. And what happens during this growth and process is that we change because we've created beliefs about ourselves along the way so we're no longer that true three-year-old you know um true authentic self we're now we learned a bunch of things from from others that we should be different um that we should be different and so on and 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 we emerge in adulthood most of us with anxieties and depression Mm -hmm. symptoms and a combination of them all and we wonder why. And, and the reason, much of the reason is because we've learned things about ourselves that are in opposition with our truth. And, it, and it, it's intolerable, which is why we feel anxious and depressed. Yes. And those neural pathways, you know, again, they get deeply rooted and ingrained. And, and those beliefs based from these experiences that we have, these beliefs about ourselves or the world or what what it means about me in the world, um, are deeply rooted and, 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 and changing them is a, a, a practice. Yes. I mean, remember, even that's the other thing that we learned at Rhythmia that they, that they hammered into us, which was we, these are well-traveled pathways. It's just like, it, it's a pathway that, um, that is, it's just like a totally clear path. Of course, we're going to pop down it super quick every time we get, um, a, a trigger. And, but if we want to create new ones, um, I think it was Dr. Jeff that talked about it being like, we have to like blaze a new trail through, through the jungle. You know how hard that is? That's really right. hard. 
It is hard. Yeah. So how do we do it? Like, how do we do it in this case? Yeah, exactly. And and so I'm going to, I'll explain it to you, but then I just want you to also have this um, analogy because when he said this, it really stuck with me. We have to blaze the trail through the jungle. So that's going to hurt and be terrible and be hard, but we keep, have to keep practicing it or it's, or it's going to get overgrown. We have to let the other one get overgrown and, and really practice this direct one to our true essence. So, so how we do this is um, we do uh, what I what I have learned. I didn't invent this at all. Um, is a private logic framework. So because as adults we're walking around um, having experiences in our life that trouble us. It could be a, a minor conflict or a major conflict, a minor upset or a major upset. Um, we want to know what's bothering us in present day adulthood. And then we use this process to find out where was the original learning and belief from. So, so for example, if I um, if I'm upset from you know being cut off on the road, you know, and I, it, it was driving and I got cut off and it really triggered me, and I want to find out what is the emotion that popped up in that incident and recognize that this upset. Isn't, isn't it might we, we think it's about the car that cut me off but actually it's about something else and we want to find out what it is so that we can um we can let go of uh we want to find out where what it is so that we can have peace okay i, I know I'm a little off i might be getting a little off track here but we want to see what is upsetting us in present day look for the original pathway and then check on it for the truth so let's use an example, I guess, you know, that might be the best thing that we can do. Sure. Yes. So because these, these examples can get a bit personal, um, Taylor and I went ahead and we did, we did a couple of examples with her um, upsets in present, in present days. Um, I use an emotions list. So I gave Taylor this list of different emotions. And so um, what you do is you get, you narrow down what is the emotion that is the, the trigger. And then from there, you do what I call float back technique, which is like, okay, so it's the emotions. I'll just try to find to what, you know, oh, the one that we did earlier, you know, was feeling dejected and worried. So, so we, we figure out, okay, so feeling worried, which would be a natural feeling, you know, being a mother and so on. And dejected, we, we learned as a, you know, when you're kind of like, oh, dispirited, kind of disappointed. So we, so if that's coming up in present day, we want to look back to the earliest time in childhood that you learned that emotion. And so, you know, we found an example for you, like when it was, you were going through a time where it was kind of a worrisome time when you were five. And then we want, we want, I want Taylor to embody her little five-year-old self and really recall how it felt to feel worried and kind of dispirited. And then what we ask her to do in that moment is to go back to that five-year-old self who's feeling worried and fill in these blanks. And so this, this um, little framework is really, in, is really helpful. So we get them to embody the, the age, five years old, and we ask the client to say, on the basis of this memory, the conclusion I have about myself is I am, and then you fill in the blank. So in this case, Taylor felt, I am uncertain. The next part was other people are, 
in, in Taylor's case, it was in charge of me. This world is, and Taylor's little five girl self said uncertain. And then the final one is, therefore I will, Taylor said, close down. So you, you want to embody the age you were when you first felt it so that we can tap into this private logic. So Taylor's private logic at five years old is, I'm uncertain and I better close down. I hope that's okay to share, Taylor. Yes, absolutely. And we did a couple of these, which I thought was super interesting too. We had like a couple different scenarios of like, you know, stuff that had come up. And then we went through the practice of like remembering when I felt that way. And it was really interesting to see personally for me, like the themes that came up. And I actually want to touch on the other one that we did where what came up for me was when I was feeling like I was unheard because what I found fascinating about that. And I've talked about this openly on the podcast before is like, you know, with my uh, autoimmune thyroid disease and like, you know, um, feeling like before where I struggled to um, have a voice or that my voice wasn't heard or that it wasn't validated. And when we went through this process and went back to like early childhood where I was perhaps feeling that way, it was coming up for me, like even the root of that, right, was like, I am, and I think I said, unworthy and vulnerable. Yeah. Um, and, and and therefore, I suffer. Yeah. Um, or yeah. I believe about myself, right? Like, um, what other people are saying. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's, like, it, it's, it's extremely logical that a little girl would feel unheard and therefore have to, you know, tolerate it yeah you know and it's in it and it also that i am unworthy and vulnerable therefore i will believe i guess i'll believe what other kids say about me or whatever people say about me very typical and very natural that we would make these conclusions about ourselves because of those experiences so it's it it's you have to be really honest in this process to say what what experiences really happened and what your little self really concluded about herself in that moment um because this takes this process takes you out of the victim identity too like you you take your power back by realizing oh my goodness little taylor made these uh conclusions about herself that she is unworthy and she should believe what others say about her but the truth is, look, uh, of course, a six-year-old is, um, that makes sense to a six-year-old, but it doesn't make sense to us now as adults. Mm-hmm. Is you then, know, When you say that, that it takes us out of that victim mentality, because you explained to me that when we go through the framework of it, it's like identifying this upset is about me and it gives me an opportunity to learn something about myself. And then when you walked me through it and you're able to identify like the impression that I got about myself from that situation really had nothing to do with what was probably actually going on. Right. And, and like you said, in your example with your mom, you know, who was going through her own shit and couldn't really give you attention in that moment when you hurt your knee, it was like, well, you know, and then you internalize it as like, I, I, if I'm in pain or I'm hurting, I can't ask for help. You know what I mean? And, but Mm -hmm. in the reality was like, your mom had a shitty day. She's Mm -hmm. on the phone. Right. right? So it's like when, when we went through that process of going back and being like, well, 
And then you're like, holy shit, I'm 40 and I've carried this belief about myself in the world around a situation that I, you know, internalized at five and then created this neural pathway that created the belief that I've carried till now. I know. It's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable. unbelievable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it takes us so far away from our truth, but it feels so logical that we just, we just keep practicing it. So that's why this takes, this is like, it, it took, it took, it, it actually made me mad when I first learned it. So I was like, really, I have to deconstruct all these beliefs, but you know, you get to a point where you can't tolerate the, the alternative because you're so at war with yourself. It's, it's inhumane. And just because I know this and I learned this doesn't mean I'm all in, you know, full peace and ease. I'm certainly not, but I, I know that, present day upsets are triggering little Morgan's insecurities. And I know from doing the process, um, the six step process that I, I do in the course, that I have three core limiting beliefs and three core private logics. You know, you can use whatever word you want. Um, and mine are, I'm alone, I am inadequate, and I am a failure. And I had knew I had these. And, and Taylor, you'll have three too. And some it'll be like, I am on heard I am unworthy I am you know, uncertain and, and yep. the more you do it the more it will glean the themes and then and then you'll be able to notice and take ownership in present day why something is bothering you or why something isn't bothering you it either it either taps into a um to, to one of these private logics or it doesn't and that's why we're all so different and I think what I found interesting too, is like of that six step process that you're talking about, one of the things that we walked through together was like, you had asked me, like, uh, I think I had shared with you in that particular one where I was remembering being like, I don't know how old, 10 or 11. And I was like sitting on the edge of my bed in my bedroom, just being mad as hell about something that made me feel invalidated, unheard, trapped and blamed as a kid. And we went through the steps of reframing it. And we talked about like, hey, what would I say to her if I was there next to her on the bed? And it was literally like imagining me saying to her, nope, we're not we're not sitting in here with the door shut feeling unheard. Like I'm coming to get you. I'm taking you with me. We're leaving. I'm going to you. I everything you're feeling is reasonable and validated and you're you, and you're heard and it's understandable and it's OK. And like nope, we're not doing this. And the the action of that was very empowering. And I don't know if you um, listened to the episode where I talked about, I had that whole like inner child vision journey in an ayahuasca ceremony where I was taken back to, to little Taylor. Um, and, and it was kind of interesting because it was similar. It was sort of explained to me in that experience of like, pick her up and take her with you. You know what? Don't, freaking leave her there. And, and I almost felt like for like weeks after that I had this like little baby Taylor, like on in like a baby Bjorn or on my back, just like reacclimating of like remembering like, no, 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 I've got to bring her with me wherever I go now. And I have to constantly be like, Hey, you okay? How you feeling? Are you, you know what I mean? Like, and, and checking in with, with, with her in that way. So it's very interesting to me, the parallels of like that part of this six step process of like, what would I say to her? What does she need in that moment? What can I give her that she wasn't feeling then? 
And I think that's amazing. Yes. And that's exactly the point. That's exactly the point of this because we're grown now, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, we're grown now and we can parent ourselves perfectly mm-hmm. fine. We know ourselves better than anyone does. And so we do go back and get that girl off the bed. You know, yep. we do go back and, and snatch her out of that house and say, look, I got you now, whatever it is that you need, it's you first. And I, I recommend people talk that way, you know, when, when they're faced, you know, some of us overextend ourselves when other people, people need us. And, um, I recommend people imagine their little self is right beside them and first checking with her. Hey, do you have any bandwidth? No. Okay. Sorry. We can't because yep. we can't, and we, we need to care for our little selves first. And yes. And so how we bring it, just sort of circle it to, to the true essence. That's why having those pictures are so huge because once we do the processes of finding out the private logic and the I am unworthy, I am vulnerable, I am unsafe, all of those ones come up. We look at the pictures and we want to look at her and say, does she look unworthy? And it's like, no. Hell, no. hell no. Does she look vulnerable? No. Little Taylor's strong as a whip, you know? Does she look um, like nobody wants to hear from her? No. Everybody wants to hear from her. She's wearing a shirt dress with beads. <laughs> so it's it's so it's it's just so backwards right and so we have to literally spend a beautiful time reconnecting with her Mm -hmm. and And one and part of that reconnection which I loved was you told me to spend some time reading over my true essence traits and looking at the picture and listening to Simply the Best by Tina Turner, which is the perfect song, you guys. By the way, you've got to do this. It's such an amazing practice. And yeah. I, as I was doing that, I'm listening to Simply the Best. I'm looking at the picture. I'm going over these two tr- true essence traits. You know, there's little Taylor in spirit, right? And I'm thinking, you know, of all the shit where I felt like unheard and, and, and uh, you know, and then I'm thinking like, that's why I have a fucking podcast today. <laughs> like yes. I'm going to make people listen to me, whether they like it or not. I'm on the fucking airwaves now. Okay. Yes. <laughs> but like all joking aside, it's so healing for that neural pathway that held such a strong story about being unheard or invalidated in my pain. And again, just going back to being open about my thyroid condition and how I believe really that to be a direct result of exactly those emotions. And that's why with Thomas, like a lot of the times when he's upset about something or he's, you know, getting emotional, I'm like, I literally tell him like, get it out of your body. Like we got to get it out of your body because I know what it feels like physically, emotionally to swallow it down, hold it in, to feel like whether it's appropriate or not to be able to express it. You know what I mean? Yes. And it is appropriate. You know, like, it's just not, this is why our culture and society is in opposition to health and well-being because we're allowed to be exactly as we are at all times and and we have to accept people and especially children yes you know for exactly who they are and we realize that we're in a very um important position to either stifle their their sparkle or, yeah. you know, light it up so that they can be their true authentic selves and have a well, on that people. note, you know, especially on that note, because 
so many of my listeners are parents and 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 even myself when I learned this one of my first concerns was like now that I know how this happens I'm like shit how do I not like fuck up my kids neural pathways because maybe I have a bad day and I say something that I don't even think is going you know what I mean and it it completely <laughs> sets the 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 you know track for him to have like a horrible limiting belief about himself like so what can you say like a piece of advice for mm-hmm. for the listeners that are parents that are worried about like well great like how how do I avoid fucking my kid up now yes yes no no and i felt the same way too when i first learned i said oh no so we can't we can't avoid it so children are going to develop their own private logic as in accordance to their process and their experiences we can't prevent them we can't prevent whatever conclusions they're going to create about themselves in their experiences but we can do a couple things um to really make sure that we're setting them up for success and knowing about their true worth. So the number one thing that I, I always want, and I didn't, again, I've been taught this stuff, um, is that children need to know what their superpowers are and what their strengths are. So sadly, because of our society, we like kids to behave and do what they need, be little adults and be mature and so on and so forth. But the problem is they're just, they're not, they're not naturally supposed to be sitting in the chairs and and being stoic. They're supposed to be kids and playing and exploring and achieving. And, and so we need to really look at our kids and remind them of their strengths and their true superpowers and their sparkles and celebrate those things. And it can be hard sometimes for kids that are really spirited and, oh, we just need to have a break, but we can reflect back to them. Wow, you really brighten up the rooms. Wow, you really know how to get the attention of everyone. And that's really, you know, that's really amazing. And then the kids that are the quiet, calm ones rather than your shy and you need to be more outgoing it's like oh wow you really have a lot of insight in there and we need to put words to their superpowers for them that empowers them so that's huge yeah absolutely and i think even you know for me now when i look at pictures of thomas especially now like at age three for example being able to really study them closer and try to pull out his true essence from them and then and then whatever i can do to revalidate all the time that those are his superpowers that those are his special god-given spirit gifts you know like um reinforcing them i guess so that he doesn't forget them so quickly like I did. And I guess I get it. We're all supposed to. And going back to what Rhythmia teaches is they're like, it sounds like it's so fucked up, but this is the, this is life. And this is the journey back to the self. And this is how we learn about ourselves and, and embody, you know, it's like, we gotta, we gotta go through it this way, but it, it doesn't have to be as long or as hard of a road, I guess, if you can come back to practices like this. Exactly. And like, this is simple stuff in comparison to you know, uh, some other types of therapies and, and, and processes that, you know, are, 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 you know, take more time, like EMDR and stuff like that. She's like, no, we don't need to do that. We can literally look at our pictures of our true self and reconnect back with her and ask, 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 what did we do back then that brightened us up? And let's do them, do that now as adults and get Thomas doing the stuff he he liked to do back then. Um, the music on that he used to like back then. I mean, it seems juvenile, but it's not, it just, it just, it's, it's light. It's fun. It's not pathological. You know, we don't need to uh, label things, right. We could just be, it's okay to be you. And let's just, um, let's just 
bring bring that child out now and we should show by example as well so i always have the pictures too on my phone of my true authentic self uh, at three years old um and also what i wanted to say about for parents too this is like a really a really important thing i wanted to share is that when we've come all undone you know we're going to come all undone we're gonna we're gonna shout we're gonna yell we're gonna we're not gonna be at our best we need to show children how to repair and I learned this um, in a class that changed my life on parenting. It, um, the phrase that I learned was, love is in the repair work. And I said, what? She said, yeah, love is in the repair work. I said, it is? She said, yes. She said, we as humans are going to have fractures in our bonds, in our relationships. We're going to, um, similarly to when we're doing a, a workout, those muscle fibers are going to tear because we're working on them we need them to tear so that they can bond back together and, and, and get thicker and stronger. And it's the same with our relationships with our kids and relationships with whoever we have. They're going to have fractures and we need to be determined to repair them so that they grow thicker and stronger. So one of the things um, that was talked about in this particular uh, course was if you've come all undone and not done your best with your child, you can say to your child, your child, Hey, can we rewind and start again? Mom wasn't at her best and I really would love to restart. Can we like rewind and erase as we go and, and can we start again? And children will always say yes. And then when we do that, we teach them that they can also rewind and repair when they need to. We need to show them how to do the repair and the repairs are, are good things and they're thickening and they're strengthening. I love that, Morgan, because I think as parents and especially as single moms, like both you and I have been, it's probably like we've all done it. I mean, I know dads do it too, but I just think moms, especially like we, we beat ourselves up for those moments where maybe we do just, we've had a long day or we're tired or we, you know, we're sick of the whining or whatever it is. And we react in a way that we don't feel great about or something. And then it's like, being able to jump in and say like, Hey, rewind and repair instead of, you know, me carrying guilt about it. And, mm -hmm. you know, Thomas feeling bad because I snapped at him or something. It's like immediately going into repairing and starting over. I think that's, that's awesome. I know. I love it too. And I wish I had known it a lot sooner. So I, I like learned that not, not long ago when my kids are, are 18 and 21, but I could have saved myself a lot of self, loathing and in the times where I didn't know about well yeah I mean hindsight's 2020 and yeah. kids are hard man and they push us to points that are especially as moms you know it's like yeah. they really do push us to points where sometimes it's just it's a true test of character but you know I feel like we we really just barely touched on a lot of these concepts there's obviously so so much more to this program prevail um than than we were able to get into today but i do think we did a good job of like really going over kind of the the main points of it but for people that are interested in learning more about this type of psychology or how they can work with you and like what your offerings are can you tell us what you have what you're doing and where people can find you sure yeah so um so for anyone that's outside of ontario 
um, then this program, the, the mental, the public, the public program called Prevail, Prove Your Power, would be an amazing place to start. It's a six-month. Uh, you're in the you're in the course for six months, but it's an eight sort of an eight-week framework. And so the way I have it is, you, you know, you have a workbook, and we go through eight different concepts, um, and you can apply these concepts to any any obstacle. So if it's, you know, you're going through um, a problem at work or a breakup or, you know, any parenting problem, you go through the whole eight concepts and then it, it still applies to another conflict. So you really get good at taking ownership of your own, um, your own struggles, right. And really getting into the, getting empowered to like, no matter what's on my pathway, I can handle it by taking ownership and figuring out where it's all coming from. So that's the Prevail Prove Your Power course. And you can find it by looking at www.morgancrew.ca. So that will and show I will you. add all those links too in the show notes so people um, can go find your website and read more specifics about Prevail and the program itself. But um Overall, I'm just, I'm so excited. I was so excited when I met you to and learned about this and learned about what you were doing. One, because I wanted to learn about it for myself. Um, and I feel super lucky that I, you know, got this crash course on these these principles and that I can also like reach out to you as I'm working through them on my own, which I'm going to because they're amazing. Um, but I'm just really appreciative for for you coming on and sharing about all this. And, and I, I just want to go back for a second to your North Node in Scorpio, your Midheaven in Scorpio, you know, you really are truly somebody embodying um, their life path and their destiny. And that's in your natal chart, yes, but like it's evident too in what you've chosen to do and the medicine that you've brought forth to the world. And whenever I feel like the connections with people that I've made at Rhythmia, and I've had a, a bunch of people on the podcast um, that I've met at Rhythmia because one, you just meet the most fascinating people there, but two, I also feel like there are soul connections. And I definitely feel that way about you, Morgan, like you and I have a soul connection um, without question. And I think it's amazing that you are embodying and bringing your medicine um, to the world. And it's beautiful medicine. And it's been very healing and helpful for me. And I'm just very grateful that my listeners got to get some of it too. So thank you so much for coming on and being here. And I love you. Yes, and I, I'm so grateful for you, Taylor. And I'm just uh, right from the start, that connection was amazing. I'm like, it's just beginning. So I'm really, really excited to just uh, be able to, to keep it going. Um, and even just, just the fact that that bracelet that I had, I brought a bracelet for somebody and it was, it was the angel bracelet and it was for you. And it was, um, it just all it, the roots reflected in your true essence traits. Like it's absolutely unbelievable. So yes, yes. So the bracelet, I have to say real quick, the story behind that. So Morgan brought this bracelet and she did, she felt like she needed to bring it and she was going to meet somebody she was going to give it to. And it was me, but it was that you tie it on. So she tied it on, you know, back in June, right one night, right before ceremony, I still have it on it's and it stays on until it's time for it to fall off. And then the, the work of the, the little crystals on it have been done. But every time I look down, it's just a great reminder of, of our friendship and our bond. And yes, like there's a lot more to come and um, I'm just so happy you're in my life. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Okay. You're so welcome.